Father's Day Christ Journey, and wherever you're making your connection with us today, Christ Journey Gables, Christ Journey Kendall, Christ Journey Online, right there in your home across the nation around the world, we welcome you and ask God's blessing for you today. And I have a story for everybody. A few months back, my daughter Corey and her family came to see us for a little bit, and uh, they brought, of course, our two brilliant grandsons, West, who is six, and Cedar, who is two and a half. And we had managed to get a little place, a second floor condo down in Key Largo. And one day, after time in the pool, we were back up in the apartment, and Corey looks around and says, where's Cedar? And of course, you know, he wasn't with Daddy Daniel, who was taking a rest. He wasn't with Lolly and Pops, who was sitting on the couch. Wasn't with West, his brother, or Ase, who was helping us at that time as well. And somewhere around in there, then Lolly, Lisa, my wife, looking out on the balcony over the parking lot said, there he is, there he is. And um, he was uh, on a little, well, let me tell you it. He was on a big wheel tricycle, racing his way down the parking lot toward the main street. Now, I guess that day when we came in, none of the grown-ups saw the tricycle that was under the stairwell, you know, when we were coming in, but obviously Cedar did, and as soon as he got upstairs in the room, he exited the condo, uh, mounted up the uh, big-wheeled tricycle, and started pedaling for all he was worth across the parking lot, you know, toward the main street. Well, just like that, as soon as Lisa said that, Daniel, like a bullet, his dad, was right there, down there on him. At the same time, there was a security guard who was kind of watching the perimeter of the parking lot. And uh, as soon as Daniel got there, you could tell that he sort of commenced with the fatherly advice stuff going on, you know, like what you're supposed to do in a situation like this, situation like this and what you're never supposed to do in a situation like this. And they were having that give and take. And then that conversation appeared to continue as he came back across the parking lot and then came up the stairs and then got into the apartment, at which time Corey kind of tag-teamed, like mom, off of what dad was doing and then took little Cedar in her arms and started giving her own version of the same thing. You can hear it in your head happening, can't you? Cedar, you know, you should never leave without telling a grown-up. You should always take a grown-up with you. We need to know where, you, you know, the whole thing. And it, it was the, the serious conversation was being punctuated with things like this. Look at me. Listen to me. Do you understand? And then, and then the repeat after me kind of stuff. And then so Cedar, next time something like this happens, what are you going to do? And the little guy who'd been, I mean, I was watching at a distance, and the little guy who had been, like, listening without interruption to the whole thing, what are you going to do? Ride the bike. (laughs) Ride the bike. It's like, yeah, I, I did what you did. You know, I'd been paying close attention to the drama unfolding from a bit of a distance, but when he said that, I guess I must have chuckled out loud because my daughter looks at me and says, Dad, stop laughing. But it was too late. I had already laughed, you know. And so all of that serious lecture, and Cedar is still enamored. Ride the bike. This is so human. This is so cute. But it's so dangerous. You know, like only a parent would know, right? I think I was eight years old when I pulled a similar stunt. My parents had, wanted, had warned me about riding my bike across San Francisco Street in Flagstaff, Arizona, because it was so busy. But you know, right across the street was the foremost milk company. And they sold candy 
and magic tricks. And I could just ride across, get it, come right back, you know, it'd be just like that, right? And even though I saw the car coming down the street, I thought, man, if I pedal really fast, then I can get across the street before the car gets to the intersection. But I was wrong. Because it T-boned me flat out. The car knocked me off my bicycle. I mean, and the bike didn't come out so well. Somehow, I came out okay. I was shaken up. I was rattled. Uh, but my bike wouldn't ride anymore. The pedal was slammed into the bicycle so it wouldn't work. And, uh, and they asked me who I was. I didn't tell anybody who I was. I didn't tell where I lived. I just wanted to go home. I wanted to hide my bike and hope that my mom and dad never asked me about it. You know, like, where's your bike? Oh, I don't know, you know. It's like, um, so um, my, uh, what I remember, I actually, I called my mother about this and, uh, and she said that what I kept, what she was told that I kept on saying was, please don't tell my parents, please don't tell my parents, please don't tell my parents. My dad had taught me how to ride that bike. And it was a full-size bike. It wasn't like the one that was built for where you are these days. This was like a full-size bike. And in order to do it, you know, he had to steady me on it and then stand with me, stand by it. And then he had to start walking and then he had to start trotting. And then, then he let me go. But he did not let me go without some rules for the road. And one of them was this. Don't ride your bike across San Francisco Drive, San Francisco Street. But I guess that day I thought I was smarter than my dad. And I got hit, and uh, I wasn't laughing that day. What I was saying was, please don't tell my parents. Please don't tell my parents. In Hosea's story, God has compared his relationship with his people, Israel, with the relationship of a man that was married but to a wayward wife, a woman that he just couldn't keep. It seemed like all he tried, but he just couldn't do it. Well, today we're going to look at chapter 11 in the story of Hosea, where he uses a different image. It's the story, the, the image of a father, of a loving father who's also an angry father at the time, with a child who doesn't appreciate all that he's done for him, and the child, it seems, is just bent on rebellion and on disobedience. Now, neither of those stories is easy to live in a family. But when God compares his experience with Israel with that that a father has with a child, we're being invited, the reader, the listener, is being invited to look into the heart of God, into some of the most tender memories, but also some of the most tough struggles that we don't always associate with God when we think about God, and sometimes we don't even understand how this happens in our own fathers. But Hosea chapter 11 is like a father's wistful reflection upon younger days, remembering and then maybe even longing for earlier times. It's like a dad that's thumbing through a family album, and he comes across that photo of when his son was first born. And chapter 11, verse 1 says this, when, when Israel was a child, how I loved him. They're words of warmth and, and affection. Out of Egypt, I called my son. It's like bringing him home from the hospital, you know? It's remembering how it all happened. 
And he says, he's mine. He's my son. He calls him by name. Now here, not the names of Hosea's kids from his wayward uh, spouse. Remember those? Scattered, unloved, unwanted. Today he's calling them Israel, which means winner, prevails with God, wrestles and is triumphant with God. And Ephraim, which refers to the northern kingdom, but it means fruitful, productive. So verse 3, God is talking, it was I who taught Ephraim how to walk. And, and I would take him by the arms. It's a tender picture of a father who's taking those first steps with his little toddler. Words of tenderness, words of delight, a father's pride and joy. Many of you dads know that feeling. Your child may not remember those steps in those days, but you do, don't you? When you helped steady and then take the step, and then we're there in the event of a fall or a little bump. If you teach your, to teach your child to walk or to ride a bike, you know what it takes? It takes patience, it takes sensitivity, it takes attentiveness, some willingness to be there when, when uh, the bumps and falls come. God is saying, I remember that, and I was there for you. Verse 3, God is speaking, it was I who healed you. I was there to help with your boo-boos, with your bumps. I led with cords of human kindness. I, I had your back. I was guiding you and guarding you. He said, I lifted the yoke from your neck. I was making life easier for you. This is stuff fathers do, isn't it? And then I, I bent down to feed you. So whatever they needed, God was saying, I was there on the spot to provide it. So speaking of need, I'm thinking, dads, what father hasn't struggled at some point to match the heart need of a child with the right method in a situation. Whether it's two-and-a-half-year-old Cedar or eight-year-old Billy, there was a dad involved to try to make it an intervention in the thing as a parent. And, you know, part of parenting, what I've learned is that, that part of parenting is matching the method with the child's age and stage of life. For instance, a preschooler, a little one, needs nurture that caring, secure environment emotionally. And then as they get a little bit older as a child, they need teaching. And that's why they always ask, why, 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 why? And then you're supposed to answer with the what of it, with the what of it. So a child needs teaching on to know what to do, what to do, what to do. And then as they get a little bit older, then it's training that's needed. They, know, they need to know how to do it. They need to be the one who's doing it, and they need to start making their own choices to do it. But now you match the method. You don't try to raise a teenager at the same level that you raise a toddler. Because they get to a teenager, now you're thinking it's coaching that they need. They already got some what, they got some why, they got some how. Now they just need go do and then you coach, you cheer them, and then you coach them as they allow you to play the game tapes and help them succeed. That's kind of the parent matching the method to the stage of a child's life. Well, last week, I was talking with a parent who is just now entering um, into the empty nest stage of parenting. And uh, they told me that a young parent who was still in the diaper bag stage of parenting told her, I can't wait to be where you are so we can have our freedom again. And she said, you know, it's like the funny thing was I was looking at them thinking, oh, for the days when I could control my children. 
because different age and stage have different needs. Some of us, just because your kids are grown, you know this doesn't mean that they don't need parenting, right? It doesn't mean that parenting is over. A dad friend of mine told me just this last week, he said, did you see the bumper sticker? You know, parenting, the first 40 years are always the hardest. <laughs> you know, experience teaches me, by the way, as a parent with grown-up children, that here's how you parent adults. You keep the welcome mat out, but you don't offer advice unless they ask. And then you keep it to the point. You don't, you know. It's not about controlling. It's about empowering for success. So Hosea, Hosea shows us that just because your child is older doesn't mean they stop needing a father. In fact, entire nations need fathers. And that this entire nation, Israel, needed Father God's direction, Father God's strength and guidance and guardianship. Just because you're a leader doesn't mean that you don't need leadership. In fact, the best leaders are always seeking to sharpen their leadership by listening to other leaders. So each week we've been learning on three levels. We said this week the lesson applies to all three levels, so I'm not going to rehearse them. I'm just going to tell you this. This is the central lesson for today. God loves you like a father and shows us what a father's love can be like. He shows us what a father's love can be like. Hosea chapter 11. And you can unpack that later, but here are the eight items. Affectionate, attentive, affirming, empowering, healing, kind, strong, and helpful. Eight ways that God shows his love in Hosea chapter 11 as a father. Here they are again. Affectionate, attentive, affirming, empowering, healing, kind, strong, and helpful. Now, for many of us, that list may not match with the word that you called father in your relationship with your dad. Affectionate, attentive, affirming, empowering, healing, kind, strong, helpful. But what I want to invite you to think about today, because we're trying to learn from Hosea 11 for our lives as well, is that maybe for you the growth curve is to understand that that's how God loves you. That God loved Israel like that, that God loves people like that, and that maybe today your step of growth is to come to know God as a father who loves you like that. Jesus taught us that to know God really from the heart was to know God as loving Father. He said, whenever you talk to him, you can say, our Father in heaven. That's not just a title, that's a, a real experience. And Jesus said that he came to do his Father's will. So whatever he did, whatever he said, was actually something that he learned modeled from his Father. Every Every, everyone else in the world may manage to disobey their parent, their father, and have a dysfunctional thing going on with their father, but not Jesus. Jesus lives in constant, full obedience to his father, and here's what he teaches us. This is news to us, that to obey his father is not a tedious, stifling, or diminishing experience. It's not abusive to obey his father. It, instead, it was fulfilling, it was freeing, and it is empowering to the point that it is life-giving. Living in obedience to his father's love is life-giving. At least that's what Jesus says. John 12, verse 49. I don't speak on my own authority. The father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. That's where he learned it from his father. And I know that his commands lead to eternal life. So I just say whatever my father tells me to say. Why? So that anybody who listens can find their way to life. 
Chapter 5, verse 19, John. Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. There's an empowering Father right there. He does only what he sees his Father doing. There's a modeling Father. Show me how. And then he says, whatever the Father does, the Son also does. There's a coaching Father. Oh, here's how I want you to do it. And that's the way to succeed. That's what Jesus said. God loves you like a father. And that's why he came. Because we don't, we, our fathers don't help us with that too much, you know. We all need help with that. But Jesus said that he came to show us that God loves us like a father and shows us what a father's love can be like. Now, if you're a dad, my experience has been there aren't a lot of role models around for us to model after, for us to learn from, for us to be inspired by, right? For our pattern of fathering which is why I'm so glad for this chapter in Hosea because God has given in the story of Hosea what we can look for in modeling our own fatherhood. Remember what they are? For ways to be affectionate, to be attentive, to be affirming and empowering, to be healing and kind and strong and helpful. Eight ways to love our kids and our families eight days a week. We can overlove in this way and show them that they matter to us. Now let me just unpack it a little bit differently. To be affectionate means that you're willing to know your feelings and show your feelings. That you're willing to stay in touch emotionally. This takes learning for me, perhaps for you too. But it means, Dad, we gotta pay attention so that we, that's the next one, attentive. That we watch and see what's going on in their life. The next one is affirming. That means that we tell them that they're special and that we seek to build them up, not put them down. That's what he says here. That we call them, then we also challenge them. Yes, we challenge them. We empower them. We affirm them and challenge them to step into their giftedness and expand and discover their strengths. But at the same time, we're still there to be the safety net and the backstop and to be guiding and coaching and helping along the way. And always with patience and problem-solving help. That's the role of the provider. What's the central role of God the Father in this story? The role of provider. Perhaps you can relate to that one. But not just material and physical goods. This Father is providing psychological and emotional security because of the power of love and the strength of commitment. That kind of love brings a healthy and safe environment for children to grow. And now we're talking about protector. If you use the word safe, now we're talking about protector. So what a father does is a provider and a protector, and that's what God is doing here. Now, no dad can protect their child, every loved one, from every evil in the world, but not from every predator or every deception that is loose in the world. But every dad can offer guidance to help guard their loved ones against harm. So here's a lesson for parenting and families for us. Even if yours is in disobedience like God's is and in rebellion like God's is, here it is. Help them know God's roar. If there's one take home, that would be it for me. Help your child know God's roar. Now, have you ever heard God's roar? Do you know what I'm talking about? that God rumbles in the spirit in a way that calls out to you with power and challenge. Verse 10, this is the Lord. They will follow the Lord, he will roar like a lion. I love that. When he roars, his children will come. 
trembling like the birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria, but look at the landing. I will settle them in their homes. That's the purpose. Build family because of the lion's roar. It's so important for our children to know how to pay attention to God's voice. That's what we're talking about here. The lion's roar. That God speaks. Do we know how to listen? Do we know how to recognize it? How would we know? And why does it matter? It matters because there are so many voices that are all clamoring today for our attention. And they are voices of deception and voices of confusion and voices of noise filling the space. Look at verse 12 here. It tells us that Ephraim has surrounded him with lies. So it's not just our day that's familiar with an entire culture that lies, but it was happening for God's child Israel. Israel, it says, Israel with deceit. It was a shell game where people were hiding things and pulling things off that others weren't aware of. And then he says, Judah. Judah was like the obedient part of the family, but even Judah is now getting unruly against God. The voices that we let occupy our heads matter. They start taking up space in our minds. They matter. Why? There is a way that seems right to a man, but it's a dead end. I think most dads want to keep their kids off of dead ends. We would rather provide life-giving success as much as we can. And so God right here, as a good father, looks at the mess of the disobedience that, is, that is, is making of his children, and you know what his first emotion is? Anger. And we're going to unpack anger next week. But he's incensed. He's upset. He feels offended. He feels disrespected. You ever felt disrespected, Dad? He feels unappreciated, especially in light of all that he's done, and this is how they respond? So verse 8 kind of lets us in on the turmoil that is happening in a holy and righteous father who cares so deeply for a wayward child. How can I give you up? Ephraim, how can I hand you over, Israel? Man, I, I love you. I named you. I, I don't want to let you go. I don't want to lose you. He says, how can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? If you don't recognize those cities, those were part of the collateral damage that happened when Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of their rebellion and disobedience. And God is saying, man, you're in danger zone right now. Your behaviors and the behaviors of those around you are deserving of justice and judgment and your choices have set in motion consequences that cannot be undone. But I'm struggling with this. The father is struggling with this. It's like he's saying, man, I mean, this is an astounding text. God is struggling with his disobedient family. One of the hardest things for a parent to do is watch their child fail. Is that true? One of the hard, hardest things for a parent to do is watch their child wander from God. But it's happening to God the Father right here. And he's reflecting on this, and he's feeling the torn and the tension. And, and verse 8 says this. But listen to this. Imagine this. God is speaking. My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger. Dad, we need to hear this. Nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim. I'll let them know who's in charge. For I am God and not man. The word 
for man here is the Hebrew word enosh. It means a wounded male. God is saying, I'm not a wounded male. I'm the holy one among you, and I will not carry out. I will not come in wrath. How? How will he come? In roar. <laughs> He's going to speak. He's going to turn the volume up. And he says, I, I will come. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will come. Parents, dads, we got to help our kids know how to recognize God's roar. We got to help them listen so that they can know. How do we do that? Well, God's word, through his word, God speaks through his word. Jesus taught us that God's will is known by God's word, and when we follow God's word and experience God's truth, then he guides us not into temptation, into traps, but he leads us in paths of righteousness. So our heavenly Father, Jesus said, delivers us from the evil one. He protects us from the misguiding forces that want to, uh, that want to control and, and manipulate us from social media predators, from controlling influences. God's word is like a power tool. You've got power tools at your house, guys? Here's the power tool for life that every dad needs. It's God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16, it's empowered by God's life. All scripture is God-breathed. It means it has the life of God in it, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That means it matches the need with the, with the method, and God gives us the tools we know so that we can equip our children for every good work. Paul's writing like a spiritual parent. A little bit later, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says this, We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the, dis the disheartened, help the weak, and be patient with everybody. So dads, if your kids are idle or disruptive, what are you supposed to do? He says, that's when you roar. <laughs> that's, that's the warning that he says right there. Then what he says is, if they're disheartened, if they're downhearted, what do you do? You encourage them. You don't make fun of them. You don't sarcastically insult them. You encourage them. You bring fresh encouragement. Into, and then he says, if they're weak, then you bring help. It's the empowering role. And then he says, and always be patient. Always be patient. That's not something, that's not the first word that comes to mind in my experience with my dad. Patience. You familiar with this statement? If your only tool is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. What God is trying to tell us in his word is that there are tools that match the job. And a dad's responsibility is to be attentive and match the method with the heart need so that the right encouragement or correction or training can happen at the right time in a child's life. That's why it's so important to know the lion's roar so that you can match them up, right? And then here's the rule for the road that goes with it, verse 15. Make sure nobody pays wrong for wrong. That's not a win-win. Dads are trying to empower winners. He says, this isn't the way we do it, but always strive to do what's good for one another and then for everyone else. Now I'm thinking, you know, if we all did that, the world would be a different place, wouldn't it? And the Bible, God's word, is a power tool that's put in the hands of parents, the hands of dads. Why? So that you can help your children recognize the lion's roar. How do we do that? Once again, 
Well, I would just say, you know, the best way is to seek it yourself. Do you know how to recognize when God is speaking to you? And then when you do, is your first answer yes? That you hear the lion's roar and know that he's wanting to build something better in your life, so that's why you say, yes, Lord, I'll go with you on this. That we seek him in his word, and then he takes us into the tool and applies it to us, so then we get the chance to apply it to others. One of the tools that I picked up, a new version of his word, that uh, actually reads really well from granddads to grandsons, is the Action Bible. I mentioned this already before. It's fully illustrated in comic book style, and it tells the stories of the Bible in dramatic portrayals with cartoons and captions. So if you're not into reading long narrative chapters with only black and white words on a page, I want to say to you, I started doing this with my grandson, West, and he started doing it with me. He was up the next morning before I was even up waiting for me with the open action Bible saying, Pops, can we read? And after I told this story the first time, another one of our fathers sent me a picture that he'd picked up his action Bible. He was sitting with his own son, and they were reading down through the comic book. By the way, the, the artist that did the comics in this Bible also was the illustrator for Marvel and DC superhero comics. So this is no, uh, this is top shelf quality. I got a copy from my grandson. We started reading stories together, and now I'm praying with his parents that at an early age, he will recognize the lion's roar and be able to say yes lord matters doesn't it but the job's too big for one person that's why god gives us each other so that we can circle together and we can get our kids together within range of the lion as a spiritual village for so that dads can hear his voice so that moms can hear his voice so that sons and daughters can hear god's voice and then in hearing god's roar then we will step forward and saying he's calling me i got to go and then as we go then we are find ourselves out of harm's way and into life that's like jesus taught us one of the sacred stories that Jesus also tagged up on that assumed that people would have already known it was the story of Noah. It's in Matthew chapter 4, 24. Jesus is talking about what's going to happen when he comes back. And he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, the second coming of, of Christ. What's it going to be like when he comes back? He said, well, remember the story of Noah? That's how it's going to be like. People... Um, we're eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, they're just carrying on as usual, hanging out with each other, nobody looking up toward God. Up to the day that Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And Jesus said, that's how it's going to be when the coming of the Son of Man. Why did they know nothing is a question that comes to my mind. Well, there's only two answers to the question. One is, nobody told them something. Somebody didn't tell them so they would know. Or, somebody tried to tell them, and then they didn't listen. Which is actually what happened in the story. As Noah was building the ark, he was also preaching and teaching and giving them opportunity to respond. And they just kept saying, no, 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 no. Until finally the day came, the door was shut, and then the time was up. But Jesus said, that's the story. That's, you know, that story could be scary, but only if you're not ready. If somebody could have helped you know the lion's roar before the door was closed, then you could be ready. That's why the church is here. We help each other in this. 
And we can't make our children believe, but you know what we can do? We can get them within range so that they can hear the roar, they can feel the love, they can know the friendship, they can envision the future from God's perspective. And then when Jesus speaks, they'll know the Lion of Judah has called me into salvation and are making their way home. Even if, listen, even if for a time, your family seems to be having something in common with the prodigal son's family, and your children are far from God or seem to be in a far country and they're not paying attention. God's love is strong. God's love is patient. God's love is big. And God's love is bigger than human stubbornness or fallenness. And his roar can bring our children right back home. May God grant that for you. But as you're listening to this list, can I say something? Maybe you feel like you've missed out. Maybe that's not the kind of words that line up with father experience in your life. Affectionate, attentive, affirming. Can I tell you something? I just want to introduce you to Jesus Christ because he said the father and I are one (laughs) and he who has seen me has seen the father. The father loves you in that way through Jesus Christ. Affectionate, attentive, affirming. That was Jesus in his ministry of healing and teaching and then empowering and and, healing. healing and kind. This is Jesus on the cross for you, doing for you what you could never do for yourself, and then rising from the dead, strong and helping. The lion has roared. Maybe you've heard him this morning. And if you have, I just want to invite you to respond. And you can do it in a prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I believe you're speaking to me. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Fill me with your spirit as I turn from going my way and learn to go your way and start making me the person you want me to be. That's how it begins. You respond to the lion's call by saying, I'm here and I'm responding. Dads, I'm wondering if this is a day for you to likewise offer a prayer. Is this when you say on behalf of your family and behalf of your own life, Lord, help me recognize your roar. Help me hear it. And then when I hear it, help me to voice it through your word, to, to, to let your word come through my mouth so that the roar is heard until it echoes through the generations in my family. Now, I brought something with me today. You know what this is? This is my father's Bible. He's been with the Lord for a while. But what I feel like the Lord wants me to ask you guys is this. When you're gone, will you have a Bible to be raised? Is there a Bible your children can raise? What story will they be telling? Is is God saying with his roar, hey, it's time to man up again? And some of us immediately are thinking, yeah, but what if I mess up? (laughs) Listen, my dad messed up. I mess up. We all mess up. Every dad messes up. So when a dad messes up and then comes to God in humility, the family gets to watch and learn how to do that too because they're going to mess up too. But God is full of grace and has come to give us hope. So what I'm wondering is, can I get an amen to that? I know, I mean, do do I have an amen? No, is there an amen? amen? Amen.